The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. One of the sure signs that we're living in the last days before the return of Jesus is that evil men are staggering from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, just as the Apostle Paul prophesied in his letter to the church at Rome. And in the Mideast, we have witnessed an increase in evil as murderers have martyred many Christians with both old and new torments. And those with evil intentions have pushed the very limits of Israel's endurance with terrorism at its borders and within, all with ever-increasing new inventions of terror. So how do we face our world of increasing darkness as believers? Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. The Bible tells us that in the last days, people will call evil good and good evil. What we're seeing now, especially in the West, is a return to a world that doesn't want to know God as a result of rejecting our Judeo-Christian morality. The truth is, nations don't attain to a high moral standard where human life is cherished without the knowledge of the one true God. Now, in this prophecy update, I want to emphasize a headline from the Federalist publication. Infanticide is the historical hallmark of a pagan culture. The article states that Judeo-Christian principles were the foundation of our culture, and Christianity is deeply pro-life. Until recent times, restraining evil, as defined by Christianity, bound Americans together. But it's alarming just how quickly Europe, Britain, and America have degenerated. For example, my parents of blessed memory haven't been gone but a few years. But if they were alive now, they would hardly be able to comprehend just how fast society has declined. Today's America is diametrically opposed to the nation of my youth, which honored God and showed respect to our leaders, and our borders were protected from invaders. But our country has strayed so far from God that He's allowed many Trojan horses to enter as a judgment. Dark forces are trying to bring about globalism and the rise of the Antichrist one world government, when evil will have free reign. Unless believers cry out for God yet to intervene, how can we stay the darkness? I pray the Lord of the harvest will listen to the cries of intercessors to give us more time to save our nation and to win the lost. Even within the institutional churches, there are appalling signs of ever-increasing wickedness with shocking sexual scandals, pedophilia, and destructive replacement theology that fights against the very Bible prophecies that God is fulfilling right now in Israel. But rather than causing us to be defeated by despair, the sign of new inventions of evil assures us that this world won't continue forever without divine intervention. 
The second coming of King Messiah Jesus is much nearer today than when we first believed. The Apostle Paul prophesied about the proliferation of evil in the last days. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, yet he was amazingly unashamed of the simplicity of the gospel, as radical as it was to everything he had previously believed in. Until Paul met the risen Lord Jesus on his way to Damascus, he had lived his entire life according to the restrictions of the law. His life had been 100% governed by rules. So many rules that it became virtually impossible not to break some because there were so many. And more rules were invented to protect and fence in the Torah. Paul had lived a life of legalism, but after he met Jesus, who fulfills the law for us, Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, meaning the Gentiles, because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God that comes by faith, just as it's written in the Hebrew scriptures, the righteous shall live by his faith. But then, in this same chapter, Romans 1, Paul goes on to warn that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He said, for although men knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and darkened in their foolish hearts. You see, this teaches us that we constantly have to examine our motives because even against the strongest evidence, we often tend to try to argue ourselves out of any truth that we may happen to dislike. So Paul said, claiming to be wise, people become fools. And these foolish persons exchange the truth of God for a lie because the truth wasn't to their taste. And so he said, they worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And for this reason, God gives them over to dishonorable passions. Since they no longer see fit to acknowledge God, Paul said he gives them up to a reprobate mind. And what we want to ask today is, what exactly is a reprobate mind? Well, it's a depraved mind. God will not always strive with people. He's very patient and long-suffering, but eventually, if people refuse to repent, God says he's going to give people up to do what's in their hearts, things that ought not to be done. So reprobates become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Paul says here that they're gossipers, slanderers, God-haters. They're despiteful, arrogant, and boastful. The commentaries say that these last three descriptive words, despiteful, proud, boasters, these words imply insolence mixed with contempt. And that's why we see the proud and boastful flaunting. They're flaunting their sins on TV, in the movies, the print media, and on the internet. And when their consciences are seared, they can do the most unbelievable and sickening things.
In Romans 1.18, Paul goes on to say something that I want to underline today. He said, people with reprobate minds will invent new forms of evil. And doesn't that describe the world today? Inventors of new evil. Furthermore, Paul said they disobey their parents. And that's certainly a, another symptom of our times for sure. I even saw a headline recently where a man in India decided to sue his parents for having been born. He said he was conceived without his consent. Well, his mother said she would have considered his complaint if she could have consulted with him before he was born. Well, this verse goes on to say that people whom God abandons are senseless, faithless, heartless, merciless. They actually approve of those who practice wickedness. Now, as I said, a verse that I want to underline from this chapter really jumped out to me this week, although I'd read Romans chapter 1 many times. But it seemed that this phrase for the first time just jumped out to me because it so perfectly describes our times. Paul prophesied that people with depraved, reprobate minds will be inventors of evil things. I looked it up and that's the way at least 10 translations of the New Testament have rendered the phrase inventors of evil things. The good news version says they think of more ways to do evil. The new living translation renders it. They invent new ways of sinning. For example, terrorists try to dig tunnels into Israel in order to kill and to rape. And here's another illustration of exactly what the apostle Paul was talking about in Denver, Colorado in the United States. A controversial feminist who was actually ordained in the Lutheran church invented a publicity stunt that was staged to attack evangelical Christians. She published a tweet on Twitter saying that she was distraught by the purity movement of Bible believing Christians. You see, teenage girls were given purity rings or they purchased purity rings for themselves as symbols of their intention to remain celibate and not to engage in sexual activity until marriage. But the rebel minister sent out a tweet asking young women across the United States to mail their purity rings to her because she said she wanted to use them to bring down the purity culture of evangelical Christians. The rebel clergyman claimed that such vows of purity shame girls over their sexuality. This so-called minister decided to have the rings melted down and she promised to send each contributor a certificate of impurity. Well, believe me, people don't need certificates of impurity because the Bible has already judged and certified each human being as being impure because of our fallen nature. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. But the good news is that we've been sent a savior from heaven, Jesus the Messiah. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. And he saves anyone who repents from uncleanness, from impurity, and from all of our sins, no matter how wicked, if we'll truly ask for pardon from our sins. 
You see, the sacrificial blood of the Messiah shed on the cross in Jerusalem is given by God as the atonement, the cure for all of our sins and sicknesses. This is the good news. But shockingly, and this indeed was done, I believe, for shock value, the purity rings were made into a highly vulgar sculpture, which was presented as some sort of prize to feminist pioneer Gloria Steinem. What a dubious award. All in an effort to take down the church's teaching on sexual ethics. When I saw this clergywoman's flagrant flaunting of rebellion in the face of God, I could only think of Romans 1.30, the verse I read earlier, the Apostle Paul's description that they will invent new forms of doing evil. Yet, the Bible says that without holiness, we can't see God. The boastful and brash news headline of those two women as they mocked holiness and mocked purity, in my opinion, epitomizes the blasphemy and vulgarity of our times. We do pray with a healthy fear of God for the souls of such women. But there's also the reality of a hardened soul being given over by God to a reprobate, depraved mind. I sense an urgent need to say that we must all understand the definition of a reprobate mind and be warned of crossing the line. In Romans 128, it says that God will abandon people to their sin. At some point, he'll give them over to a reprobate mind, and consequently, they will indulge in all sorts of indecent behavior. The meaning of reprobate is not only rejection by God, but abandonment by God. When people go so far into sin, the Apostle Paul wrote, they don't like to retain God in their knowledge, and so God gives them what they want. They didn't want God. They didn't want holiness, purity, cleanness. So God gave them over. He abandons them. These people are reprobate because of their enmity against God. And if we find reprobates organizing churches with all sorts of religious church names that deceptively resemble so-called churchianity, the question we need to ask ourselves is, were these people, were these reprobates ever really saved in the first place? Or are they truly the prophesied wolves in sheep's clothing. There's going to be some big surprises in heaven as to who is there and who's not there. So it would do well to compare the traits of born-again people with the characteristics of a reprobate, even those who claim to be Christians. You see, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, saved, born-again people are new creations in the Messiah, who have repented of all sins and who bring forth and demonstrate the manifold gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit. For the true believer, our attitude towards God, towards the Bible and sin have dramatically and diametrically changed and right living is manifested in our daily lives. We want to live a life of correcting ourselves with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. True believers desire to do good works, to do the exploits of the kingdom of God. Born-again believers love other believers, and they're watchful, keeping themselves 
untarnished from the world with a clear conscience. The New Testament says that when we're in Messiah, we actually become a new creation. The commentaries say that the phrase new creation is borrowed from the rabbis who described the condition of a proselyte. But the New Testament meaning is a deeper truth of spiritual regeneration. It's the new birth of which Jesus spoke in John chapter 3. Of course, saved, born-again people can and do fall short, but real believers learn to confess their sins in order to maintain intimate fellowship with God. 1 John 1.9 is such a beautiful promise that we need to cling to. That verse promises that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we just feel defiled by what we see and hear on a daily basis. But 1 John 1.9 is a perfect antidote for cleansing. The reprobate, on the other hand, wants no real knowledge of God and certainly no fellowship with the Almighty. Instead of building holy testimonies and accomplishing good works and exploits for God, their lifestyle is diametrically opposed to that of true believers. Paul says in Romans 1.29, they're filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. They're full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful. Without natural affection describes our generation because the abortionists have come up with new inventions of evil, new ways for mothers to allow their infants to be murdered in the womb. There was a time when our Judeo-Christian heritage shielded society from such evil. Jesus gave warnings against harming children, yet the pedophilia rings and pornography on the internet and so forth have resulted in new depths of evil. And I read that in one children's story hour in a public library, somebody dressed up in a costume as Annie, that's the female name, Annie Christ, as a blatant mockery of Christianity. And that was being sold to innocent children in a public library. We also see socialism and communism repackaged in our generation as something good, trying to sell it to the millennials when communism is an old evil reinvented and doomed to failure, taking many souls down with it, as we've witnessed only too lately in the crises in Venezuela, North Korea, and elsewhere. One Bible commentary explains the lust for new ways to reinvent evil that so characterizes our times. Fallen man is, you see, forever seeking new modes of gratification because people become satiated with sin, and so they're driven to devise new levels of evil schemes to satisfy their passions, which never cease to be gratified with old indulgences, and so they crave new ways to indulge their appetites. That was surely true of ancient Rome, 
but it also describes today's cruel and bloody entertainments and crimes going on. Now in the United States, the far left believes it's morally acceptable to allow infants to be murdered seconds before birth or to be left to die after a failed abortion or even after a live birth if the mother then decides to terminate her child. Recently, America has been truly shocked by the radical left's boldness to harvest babies' organs or in their legal decisions to define babies as disposable tissues. You see, in the Bible, God condemned child sacrifice through his prophets. Israelites were specifically commanded not to kill their children. The concept of blood guilt is found throughout the Bible, even in cases where death was accidental. The blood of the first recorded murder victim in the Bible, it says, cried out, his blood cried out to the Lord from the ground. But according to the research in the Federalist article that I mentioned earlier, abortion, infanticide, and killing off the elderly have historically been common pagan practices. It took the Judeo-Christian heritage to change these attitudes. So I want to emphasize today that Judeo-Christian morality, which tragically is being quickly eroded if we're not diligent, has saved the world from so much evil. In the Hebrew scriptures, God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. How many children being formed in the womb are being aborted when God has a plan for their lives like he did for Jeremiah? The article in the Federalist went on to note how Christianity deeply shaped the early days of America. For example, infanticide was outlawed in colonial America, and abortion was also a punishable crime. The seriousness with which our forefathers considered the murder of children was not due to the influence of the great philosophers like Aristotle, who actually supported infanticide, but it was due to Judeo-Christian faith. It's Jews and Christians who have historically run the orphanages, started hospitals, medical clinics, adoption agencies, and pregnancy health clinics. It's Christians who advocate most fiercely for heartbeat legislation and the abolition of abortion. It's the Christians who are out on the sidewalks day by day, begging women not to kill their babies, praying for them, trying to counsel them, and offering to connect them with pregnancy centers where they can meet church members who are willing to adopt their babies. After all, Christians take seriously the biblical command to look after the orphan and widow in their distress. A very important verse I want to mention in that regard is James 1.27. It states that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, the temptation for you and me is to give way to despair, but such hopelessness is faith-destroying. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, take heed, keep on the alert, for you don't know when the appointed time of his return will happen. He said it's like a man who's on a journey, 
who commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. So let's be on the alert, for we don't know when the master of the house is coming back, whether in the evening or at midnight or at dawn, in case the Lord should come suddenly and find us asleep. Jesus said, what I say to you, I say to all, watch, be on the alert. The culmination of human history will occur at the return of the Lord Jesus to this earth. This is our hope. This is our blessed hope of every believer. We're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. We are those, Paul says, who love his appearing. I love and watch for his appearing every day. We're waiting for his glory to be revealed at his coming. I live in this hope, and I pray that you live in the hope of his appearing. It's so important to understand this and to understand how near the Lord's return actually is. When he comes back as judge and as the roaring lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord will banish the ungodly who are described as goats, who haven't repented and who haven't put their trust in him. He'll also destroy the anti-Semites and the reprobates. The believers who are alive when Jesus returns will be ushered like sheep into his glorious millennial kingdom. When all the promises of the Hebrew Bible to Israel will finally be fulfilled and all the kingdom promises that are repeated in the New Testament will come to pass and the Lord will be king over all the earth. The Lord will restore the kingdom to Israel at that time because he's a faithful covenant keeper. In fact, Revelation chapter 20 says, the Lord's rule as the son of David over Israel and the nations will last a thousand years. And then that will be the end of history as we know it. At the end of the thousand years, the earth will be renovated. And the Bible teaches that the entire universe will be renovated and replaced by a new heaven and a new earth where the redeemed will dwell in glory with the Lord forever. There'll be righteousness, goodness, and glory in the new heaven and the new earth. The inventors of evil, hallelujah, will have been vanquished. So it's important to encourage you today to understand the times. Jesus said, look, before I come, the world is going to be characterized by massive religious deception." And the Synoptic Gospels all warn that the world will be characterized by deception, disasters, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, plagues, all kinds of natural disasters, and relentless persecution of the Jewish people, massive anti-Semitism on the increase, as well as persecution of Christians. People will simply be without natural affection. And history and current events are telling us the Bible's prophecies are indeed accurate. So now I urge you, never rest until you have found peace and security in Jesus, our Messiah. You may wonder, what do I have to do to be sure I'm right with God? Well, I would say this to you. Are you willing to forsake the things that are wrong in your life? And are you willing to live for the Savior and put Him first? If your answer is yes, you can surrender to him right now, today, and receive such a great salvation, forgiveness, assurance of salvation in the name of Jesus. You can receive his peace, forgiveness, and acceptance in the kingdom of God. For this Bible promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. Amen. Now, if I can encourage you more, join us in our ongoing chats on social media or at our website at exploits.tv, where you can sign up to receive our free color magazine, Exploits. And don't forget our Jerusalem Channel app. It's available free to download from your app store. And so until next time, earnestly contending for the faith and praying always for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. <laughs>